0: Awesome. Good morning everybody. Good to see you guys. Hey, if you've been here the past couple weeks, then you know we've been in a sermon series called Fruit by the Foot. We've been talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so we have some fruit by the foot. Oh man, if you're watching online, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you don't have fruit by the foot. I wish we could I wish we could throw it to you. I'm not going to Throw it at the, the cameraman though, he would not appreciate it. But who, who would like one? Who would like a fruit by the foot? I'm, I'm uh, not like Jake, I just throw to very close. I've got nothing to prove. I, I can't throw that far, so it's just going, right? Nice and close. All right, um, we're so glad that you guys are here, so glad that you joined us, but we are getting this uh, series out of Galatians. In Galatians chapter five, Verse 22, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, how many of you guys wake up every morning overflowing with all of this fruit? Right? You just, man, every morning you wake up, and it's just like a waterfall of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Your, your um, you know, six-year-old comes in your room and says, hey, mom, there's throw-up everywhere upstairs, and you're just overflowing with all that love and patience, and gentleness, or maybe, you know, it's supposed to be your day off, you got plans to to go over to Florence and all of a sudden your boss is calling over and over and over, and you know they're calling you into work because that no good coworker called in sick again, right? And you just overflow with love and joy and patience, Or, or maybe you're on the belt line and you know how to merge properly. But apparently nobody else learned that in driver's ed. And so, you know, someone cuts you off and they even give you little symbols with their hand that you're like, I don't speak sign language, but you're just overflowing with love and joy, right? These are difficult for us, aren't they? Most of us, at least me, I don't don't wake up just overflowing with love and joy and peace and patience. Jake does, my husband. Almost every morning he says, can I make you a cup of coffee? Isn't that sweet? And I usually say no. (laughs) I like when I make it better. (laughs) Oh, no. Thank you, though. Thanks. Thanks. And one day he goes, why don't you let me make you coffee? I kind of like it better when I make it. (laughs) But right, most of us, we don't wake up with these. Actually, in Galatians here, what it's talking about is it says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And so what the whole point of this series is we're talking about letting the Holy Spirit work in our lives so that we can be overflowing with this kind of fruit. We have this great saying, where the Spirit flows, the good fruit grows. If you will let the Holy Spirit work in your life, grow in your life, then this fruit will begin to overflow and grow in your life. Um, So today, last week we talked about love, it was awesome. Today we're going to be talking about joy. Now, if you hadn't noticed, our church is called Joy Church, right? The opening video. I think it says, like, we are joy. I always love that part. Maybe it doesn't say that. Something similar to that. (laughs) Because it doesn't say that, Bethany. But something like that. And I love that part. This is is something that we are all supposed to be. But how many of you guys are like, I'm not always that joyful, actually? Even sometimes when I get here and Bethany's kids ran into me in the lobby, I don't have a lot of joy right? They made me spill my coffee. What, you know what I mean? Like joy isn't something that we always have flow, overflowing in us. And so today I really want to talk to you about how to create an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to begin to grow joy in your life. So there's a big difference. First we have to start with what is joy. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. How, right now I want everyone to think of something that makes you happy. Okay. I'm assuming all of you thought, just like me, a roller coaster. <laughs> right? You guys all were immediately like, roller coaster, that's what makes me the happiest for sure. Right? Happiness, I mean, happiness for all of us, it's gonna be a little bit different. Um, last year, right before the pandemic, Jake surprised me, completely surprised birthday present, and um, he we had just been like reading about the Enneagram, all of this stuff, and so it was a very, very sweet present because it was a surprise trip to Las Vegas. I'd never been there. He planned the whole thing. He found childcare for the kids. It was like completely surprised. It was super fun, and then he was telling me, you, you're going to love this roller coaster. It's on the top of New York, New York, on top of a hotel, a roller coaster, and I'm like, yes. This is going to be so much fun. We went on the roller coaster, it was absolutely amazing. So in that moment, going on the roller coaster, it was pure happiness, okay? But the joy of that trip was that my husband, who like really like started studying into this, studying into my temperament, my personality type, if you think that's mumbo jumbo, that's fine, no problem. But he, he through doing that, realized, hey, this is going to be the best birthday present, a spontaneous surprise, adventure, right? And he was right. And so the happiness was in that trip, but then, you know, the trip is over, right? So you have to go back home, home, right? You know, at some point the trip is over, so the happiness is gone, but the joy remained, and that was different. It's because someone took time to know me. Right, to get to know me, to know who I was, to to want to give me the present that that I would like the most, right? There was joy in that. And the truth is, in a lot of our lives, we, we mess up a lot of stuff because we are pursuing happiness. We we've been married for 14 years, right? And there's a lot of joy in that marriage because it has been 14 years. Because there have been great things that have happened, because there have been terrible things that have happened, because we've made each other so happy, because we've made each other so angry, right? And it's through that longevity that joy is built. Now, if one of us decided to pursue happiness, right, in in the, you know, one moment or whatever and has an affair, and you ruin that whole history of joy, does that make sense? doesn't mean that it's not redeemable, those types of things. What I'm trying to get at is there's a difference in us between happiness and joy. I was reading a book recently and it was talking about, uh, it was a secular study about the difference between happiness and joy. And it was saying all of those things that bring us happiness, they excite us. And so our heart beats faster, right? You know, someone says, let's go get ice cream. Your heart kind of beats faster. All right, what kind am I gonna get, you know? But joy, it was saying when parents, when they hug their their children, their heart actually slows down. Isn't that interesting? And it was talking about how joy, actually, your heart slows down, so it's like that contentment in your life. So today, I really want to talk to you about how to make an atmosphere for joy to grow. G.K. Chesterton said, happiness depends on what happens, but joy is a different matter. How do we have joy no matter what's happening around us? Psalm 1611 says, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Isn't that beautiful? You will fill me with joy. God will fill you with joy in his presence. And so we need to make an atmosphere for joy to grow. C.S. Lewis said, "No, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Maybe you're in this room today and you say, I don't really have a lot of joy. I have a lot of sadness. I have a lot of worry. I have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of fear. I have a lot of pain. Well, guess what? No person who constantly, right, and seriously desires joy is going to miss it. If you will create an atmosphere in your life for the Holy Spirit to begin to grow joy inside of you, you will have joy. You will have joy. Like I just read, the, the Bible says you will find joy in his presence. God wants you to have joy. God wants you to have joy in your life. So in Exodus 14, we're going to read um, kind of a bit of a longer passage today. But what's going on in this story is this is all about the Israelites. The Israelites, you know, are God's chosen people from the Old Testament. So it began with Abraham and Sarah, and now it's an enormous nation. And at some point in the Israelites history, they actually become slaves to the Egyptians. So they're in Egypt and they're slaves. And so they were actually slaves for 400 years. So this is, for, you know, if you're this person, this is the only history you've ever known. Your mom was a slave, your grandma was a slave, right? This you, they, They've been slaves for a very long time. And at some point, God comes and he picks Moses and he says, that's enough. I'm setting my people free, right? They're not going to be slaves anymore. I'm going to, miraculously deliver them out of slavery. And so that's what's happened. It's been a few weeks of all of these miracles that that have been happening. We call them plagues. You're like, plague, miracle, Hmm, okay. But these plagues have been happening to the Egyptians because God keeps telling Pharaoh, let the people go, let the people go, let the people go. And finally, Pharaoh decides to let the people go. So this is like over a million people that are leaving. They're leaving for the first time ever out of slavery. They're leaving Egypt. And that's where the beginning of this is gonna take place. So we're in chapter 14, verse five. It says, when word reached the king of Egypt, that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt. I love that, that they called out, the 600 best can come, and the rest of you too, I guess, right? (laughs) Like, what did you say, all of them? 600 best and the rest. Anyways, I know. along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with his commander, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near and across from Baal Siphon. That was the actual enunciation. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. When they saw the Egyptians overtaking them, they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen when we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. This is so funny, like you were just miraculously free. <laughs> They're like, we told you to leave us alone, Moses. He's like, well, why'd you come? You know, you could have stayed. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. This, This part I love. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you guys crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. I love that part. Why are you guys crying? You need to run. There's like all the chariots and all of Egypt are coming, you know. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. And then we're going to jump ahead to verse 29. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground as the water stood up like a wall on both sides. That is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. And he, he, they continue, they sing a long song, and then at the end of that, in verse 20, it says, Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women, as they played their tambourines, and they danced. You know, when I was uh, thinking about, what's a a story in the Bible where people showed great joy, and this story came to mind, that literally they took a minute, they were miraculously set free from the Egyptians, right, and then God miraculously, you know, makes the, the water turn into two walls. It said that the wind blew all night drying the ground, so that literally when they walked on this, the dry seabed, it was dry, they weren't sinking in it, they weren't any of those things. Just a total miracle. And once they get to the other side, they just take a minute and they sing and they praise and they thank God, and then they dance, right? To me, that's like a lot of joy that is happening. And I think from this, we can see a really great way to make an atmosphere in our life for joy to grow. Now, if you've read the Bible or if you're familiar with the Exodus story, you know this is not the end of the story for the Israelites, right? Like it's not like they just all of a sudden the rest of their life was perfect. In fact, like they're like 40 more years in that wilderness just walking around and constantly doing terrible things right? It was just like, they just have problem after problem after problem. This wasn't the end. This wasn't saying like, okay, now God delivered you and everything is great. And I think a lot of times that's what we think is going to happen. Well, if I choose God, if I believe God for this miracle, if I believe God, if I trust him, then the rest of my life is going to be so easy. But that's never what God has ever promised us. But in this moment, the Israelites stop and they say, God is good. So the first way, how to create an atmosphere of joy, the first way is looking forward. Looking forward in your life. In verse 13, I love what Moses said to the people. He says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Looking forward in your life, do you have worries? Do you have concerns? Do you have stress? Do you wonder what's going to happen, right? Yes, we all do. When we look forward in our life, we can see potential problems. We can see potential pain. We can see things that maybe aren't going to go the way that we think that they're going to go. And it's so easy for us to become obsessed with fixing the future. This week I, I saw a news article, and the, the the title of it was something like, right now we're hearing the worst news in history, or, the, it's like, or maybe it said like the scariest news in history, and I was like, that is so depressing, <laughs> that's so gloomy, you know, I didn't bother reading what the worst news in history was, because I was like, not me, <laughs> like moving on, right? But, Right now, when you wake up, right, you're immediately just, it's like an attack that all of the horrible things that are about to happen everywhere, right? There's so many reasons in our lives to worry. There's so many reasons in our lives to be panicked. There's so many reasons going on right now to be fearful. And yet, if we will remember these words that Moses told the people, where he said, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The way to begin to create an atmosphere of joy in your life is to give God your future. To say, God, you hold my future. It could be easy. It could be difficult. It could be good. It could be bad. But you hold it. And so I trust you with it. Joy comes when we fully trust God with our future. When we fully trust him, God, whatever you say, whatever you do, I fully trust you with my future. You will experience immense freedom when you leave the future in God's hands. You will experience immense freedom in your life when you just leave the future in God's hands. This is a difficult, difficult thing, but this really is what trusting God is, is you're saying, I'm going to leave it there. You have my best in mind. So if I trust you with it, you'll take care of it. All right, the second way is looking back. So we're looking forward. If I have faith in God, if I trust him with my future, joy will begin to grow. And the second way is looking back. I'm going to turn over here to Psalms, Psalm 77. This is a Psalm of Asaph. We don't know who that is really. It's either they believe either Asaph wrote this or Asaph wrote it down and David wrote it. We don't know which, but basically the beginning of this Psalm, I'm gonna kind of paraphrase it a little bit for you, but Asaph is not happy. So a Psalm is like a song, right? He's writing to the Lord. He's not happy. He says, I cry out to God. I shout to him, oh, that he would listen to me. I was in deep trouble. I searched for the Lord. My soul is not comforted, right? He's saying, I'm looking for you, God, and you're not, you're not found. I don't see you. I'm overwhelmed, and you're not there. You don't even let me sleep. I'm too distressed to pray. Has the Lord rejected me forever? I think a lot of us, if you've been following Christ, we all have sometimes these feelings. Where he said, God, where are you in this circumstance? Where are you right now? I'm crying out for you and you're not there. So he goes on and on for 10 verses about where is God. And then in verse 10, he said, And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. You guys are like, Bethany, why are you reading this? This is so depressing, right? But it says, but then, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea. Your pathways through the mighty waters. A pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. What is Asaph doing? He's feeling in the moment, terribly left alone, right? He's feeling abandoned. And then it says, but then I remembered. You see, when we look back to the past, it's so important that we look back and we remember how faithful God has been. Not only in your life, but through all of history. Absolutely remind yourself of how God has been faithful in your life. But also remind yourself God has been faithful to everyone who calls on Him through all of history. He never lets them down. God's faithfulness in our past points to His faithfulness in our future. You see, what we're doing when we're reminding ourselves is we're saying, God, you did so good. Remember how great you were. Remember how you set your people free. Remember how you remembered them. And what are we doing? We're saying, God, you are the same God yesterday, today, and forever, which means that the way that you were faithful before, you will be faithful again. The way you did miracles before, you will do miracles again. The way you saved people before, you will save people again. The way you redeemed my life before, you continue to redeem me again. The faithfulness of God behind us reminds us that he will continue to be faithful on our behalf. There's great joy in your life when you say, God, you can have my future. I trust you with my future, and I'll remind myself constantly of who you have been for me because it reminds me of who you will continue to be for me. You know, this, this, I thought this was so funny. This Psalms, I was trying to figure out how long, right? Because he's talking about the Red Sea in this Psalms, right? He's referencing how the Israelites were, were miraculously delivered. And so I was trying to figure out how long, how long, how many years between when the Red Sea happened and when he wrote this. And we don't exactly know because we don't exactly know when Asaph was, wrote, was alive, but, you know, they figured these things out. And so around 1,100 years, right? Asaph is totally built up in his faith from an event that happened 1,100 years before. That's incredible. That's how awesome God is, that he's the same God from, from yesterday, today, and forever, that we can look at all the ways that he has walked with his people, and you can, as you read the Bible and you see the way that he's been faithful, you can apply that to your own life and say, God, I know you'll be faithful to me. Because you were faithful with your people before. You will have joy in your present when you remember how God has been faithful in the past and that there is hope for your future. You will have joy in your present when you remember how God has been faithful in, in the past and that there is a hope for your future. Today, I want every single person to be able to walk out of here filled with joy filled with joy. But how do we do that? Remembering how faithful he's been and believing he will do that for your future. Believing that he will continue to be faithful. I have a challenge for each and every one of you guys. Um, It's a daily meditation challenge. So I'm challenging everyone. I'm going to do it too. That from starting tomorrow morning until, you know, next Sunday, that you will read or um, memorize. I don't know why you would memorize it. I guess it'd be good. (laughs) But you would read this. So you can take a picture of it, or you you know, I'll put it in the Joy Church public group on Facebook or whatever. But I'm challenging you every morning before you do anything else to read this statement, right? It's a meditation challenge, right? So read this statement, um, read it out loud, read it in your head, however you want to read it. But I'm challenging you to do this. Before you let social media tell you how to feel, before you let the news tell you everything that's wrong, right? Before you let anything else in your world tell you who you are, I want to challenge you this week to take the first minute of your day and read this. I'm going to read it to you. It just says, hello, God, right? First we say hi. Thank you for today. Thank you for giving me another day. You are awesome. You are wonderful. You are good. What are you doing here in the very beginning? What you're doing is you're you're taking a minute and you're telling God, right, how great He is. But what it's also doing is it's reminding you how great He is. It's reminding you in the morning that He exists and He is wonderful right? He is good. So you deserve all the glory. You alone are worthy. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you, God, that I was created and formed by you on purpose. I am a child of God. He chose me. He loves me. He knows me. I have worth. I have purpose and destiny. Help me, Lord, to walk in this destiny today. What you're doing is you're reminding yourself who God is and who he's created you to be. I, w- I would love for everyone to do this every day, every morning, because I believe your life will change. I 100% believe your life will change this week if you will take the first couple minutes of your day and just remind yourself who God is and who he says you are. Imagine every day waking up, and remembering that God made you, that He loves you, that He chose you, that you have purpose, that you have destiny. How would that change every other decision that I make during my day if I remember first and foremost who I am, right? So I would love to hear, if you, if you do this every week or every day this week and you say, Bethany, nothing changed, please come tell me. I would love to know. I would love to hear why. I invite you to come and tell me that it didn't work and that I'm crazy, okay? But I, because I don't, I don't believe it. I believe that you will experience change in your life. I believe that you will experience a difference in your life if you will do this. So the challenge is out there. The challenge is for you. You know, in Acts eight eight, this is in Acts. So Jesus, he's gone back up to heaven, and his disciples are now going. They're spreading out. They're spreading into all the world, and they're telling people about Jesus. They're telling people about the gospel. And in Acts eight eight, they were just uh, in one of the towns, and it says uh, there was joy in the city. There was joy in the city. In one of the very first campaigns we ever did at Joy Church when we first started, just you know. 20 people or whatever, we said, every city needs more joy. And we had these little cards and we went door to door and we told people, every city needs more joy. Why are you guys starting a new church? Every city needs more joy. And how many of you guys would say, yeah, my neighborhood needs more joy. My family needs more joy. My coworkers need joy. My, you know, the people I go to school with, they need more joy. Guess what? We are actually the ones, if you're a Christ follower, we're the ones who are supposed to be bringing joy to others, but we can't do that until we are overflowing with joy. And so I just really want to challenge every one of you to begin to make this atmosphere for joy, to grow in your life so that you can begin to overflow the joy of the Lord in every situation that you walk in. This is the way that our cities will change. Isn't that amazing in Acts that they said there is joy in the city. Something literally changed in their city because the disciples came and they were preaching the gospel. Literally joy was in the city and that's what God wants for our city. That's what God wants for your home. That's what God wants for your neighborhood. That's what God wants for your workplace or your school, right? He wants it to be full of joy. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't, I don't really know that. Joy hasn't really come to me. What was going on with the disciples is they were coming and they were saying that Jesus wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the son of God. And the good news is that he came, he died, and he resurrected for you so that you would have life. And today, maybe you're in this room and you say, I don't have that joy. I don't have that relationship with God yet. He wants you to have that. He wants you to have that. In Hebrews, it actually says, talking about Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is that saying? That there was a joy ahead of him. It was a joy to be back in relationship with his people. God, first and foremost, created you for relationship with him. And every single one of us, we were born into this world of sin and pain. And when we have sinned, it has made this great chasm between us and God. And what Jesus did when he came, when he died, was he was building a way for us to be back in relationship with our creator. And today, if you want to be back in relationship with your creator, the Bible says that all you do is you put your faith and trust in Jesus. Like I was just talking about where you trust God with your future. You're saying, Jesus, I'm gonna give you my life. I trust you. I trust that you will do a much better job than I will do with it. And so right now, if everyone would just bow their head and close their eyes, we just wanna give you a little bit of privacy But if you're in this room and you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know him. I wanna give you that opportunity. If you're watching online, we wanna give you that opportunity as well. But if you do not know God, it is not a difficult process. It's not a magic trick. It's not a secret prayer. It's actually just open to you. It's just you saying, Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you. So if that's you today and you wanna put your faith in Jesus, would you just lift up your hand for me? Thank you. It's just a way of saying, God, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm doing this act of obedience. Anybody else in this room? Just lift up your hand. Thank you. Anybody else in this room? And if you're watching online, it just works exactly the same way. I can't see you, but God sees you. And that's who matters. Right now, what we're going to do is we're going to say a prayer. Everyone in the room is going to say it so that you don't feel singled out. And it's not a magic prayer, it's just you saying, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I'm gonna give you my life. So if everyone right now would just repeat after me, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying for me. I believe that you are the son of God. That you alone can save me. And so God, I ask you to forgive me of all the hurt and pain I've caused. All the sin that I've done. Would you forgive me? And would you help me to be more like you? I put my faith and my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.